Good morning, church family. I'm glad that you're here today. It's a good day to be in the house of the Lord. You know, as we, uh, as we begin uh, this part of our service, I'm going to ask if you would take your Bibles and open them up to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to continue our study in uh, the teachings of Jesus. If we're going to be disciples of Christ, then we need to know what Jesus taught and what he said. And we've been going through his Sermon on the Mount. And um, we've been talking about that the last several weeks. And so hopefully today we can uh, gain some insight into what Jesus is telling us that we need to do to be good disciples of, of his. Um, I've entitled this The Right Choice. A right choice. Because in all of life there are lots of choices that we make. And we make these choices hopefully based on our relationship to Jesus Christ. But much of the time, we do what we want to do. As we begin, I want to lead us in a word of prayer. And I ask you, we've been worshiping Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord, the one who died for us. My prayer is that we would just allow his Holy Spirit to fill this place. That we would allow His Holy Spirit just to take our heart and to mold it and to shape it according to His will. But even in that, we have a choice. Let's pray. Loving Father, I thank You for this time. And I ask God that in this moment, in this time, Father, we, we think of our congregation, we think of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And Father, we recognize that um, not everyone is able to be here today. And so we lift them up to you. I think of my brother, Pat Riley. I pray, Father, for him. I pray that you would be with him through this time. I pray for others that are struggling with illness. I pray, Father, that you would just, uh, they would sense your presence with them today in this moment. But also, God, that you would bring healing to them. Father, we thank you for life. We thank you that you have given us eternal life through Jesus, our Lord. And I ask, Father, in this moment, in this time, as we gather our hearts together and we present them to you, Father, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us, that your Holy Spirit would drag to light those things in our lives which maybe are not right, that are not in tune with Jesus' teachings. Father, that we would submit and surrender ourselves to you. And God, we know that you want to do a great work in our lives today. Father, I pray that that would be so. I pray, Father, that, that you would bring a, a spirit of repentance upon your people. And God, that we would repent of those things that we know are not right. Holy Spirit, have your way in our lives. And we ask this in the mighty and the powerful name of Jesus, our Savior and Lord. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. I want to thank our worship team for leading us in worship. And it truly is a blessing to hear God's people singing together in one voice, praising our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You know, when I was a kid, I was taught that um, we are to bring our best to God. We are to bring our best to Him, and, and, um, which included a clean body. You know, putting on uh, our Sunday best, but also 
bringing a clean heart. Presenting that to him. You know, in my sermon several years ago, there was, on a Sunday morning, I was preaching and, and um, I was critical of people who were wearing flip-flops to church. And later there was a homeless man that was in the congregation that day that he came forward and he said, Pastor, this is the best that I have. This is all that I have. Well, it didn't take a spiritual giant to tell me that I had disobeyed the the teachings of Jesus in judging others. And I could have saved myself a lot of mental and spiritual pain if I had treated this neighbor the way I would have wanted to be treated. You know, truly living as Jesus' disciples, it demands deliberately choosing to follow Jesus' teachings as it relates to others and as it relates to God. We have his words written on the page before us, but we have to choose to follow them. I mean, how we relate to others. We can relate to others through criticism, or we can relate to others through understanding. I want to read in Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. And we're going, to, we're going to camp out here today, so we're going to come in and out of Scripture a little bit. So just bear with us. But let's read down uh, through verse 6 in chapter 7 of Matthew. And God's Word says this. It says, Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in, my own, is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Verse 6, do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Did you know that Matthew 7, 1 is quickly replacing John 3.16 as the most memorized and quoted verse in the Bible. It's true. For instance, if you speak the truth, and you say what the Bible says about homosexuality, what the Bible says about adultery, And what the Bible says about abortion, the fact that the Bible says those are wrong and that it's sin, and you speak that truth, now when those statements are made, the world immediately trots out their favorite verse in the Bible, judge not that you not be judged. And they'll say something like this, well who died and made you the judge? See, that brings up this question, is it ever right to pass judgment on the actions of others? And be careful how you answer this. Because you might think that Jesus would have said, no, it is never right to judge another. 
But instead, Jesus said, it depends. There are times when you can judge and times when you cannot judge. See, the first six verses of Matthew 7 deal with the unspiritual way that disciples try to control those around them by blaming or condemning them. Unfortunately, some believers have greater confidence in the power of condemnation or criticism to straighten others out than they do in what's been called the golden rule. If you look on down in verse 12, you know, treat others in the way that you would like to be treated. See, when we think of Jesus, we must never forget that he is the judge of the whole world. Of all the earth, we must not ignore the testimony of Scripture that says there is a day of judgment coming. There is a day of judgment coming and that this judge truly will judge the earth in an ultimate and final way. But we also must remember that we who deserved his judgment the most cried out to him for mercy and we have found him to be loving towards us, to be gracious towards us, to be accepting and pardoning and merciful and the greatest savior and the best friend that we could ever have. That's the Jesus that we serve. But make no mistake, he is the judge of all the earth. Because God gave him a name that is higher than any name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. And every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God. Oh, man. Jesus' command here in verse 1, do not judge, is clarified in this passage by verse 16. If you look at verse 16, it says you will know them by their fruits. You will know them by their fruits. See, it is natural for one to recognize and to distinguish fruit. You know what I'm talking about. Good behavior versus bad behavior. But it's wrong to judge the behavior because we may not have all the facts behind the behavior. So I would say to you today, don't criticize others because you may not have all the facts. I mean, I read about an owner of a manufacturing plant who decided to make a surprise tour of his shop. And, and walking in through the warehouse, he, he saw a young man just kind of lazily standing up against some, some packing crates with his hands in his pocket. And he was doing nothing. And the boss walked up to him and he angrily said, he said, just how much are you paid in a week? The young man's eyes got rather big and he said, I don't know, 300 bucks. The boss pulled out his wallet and he peeled off three $100 bills and he gave them to him and he said, here's a week's pay. Now I want you to get out of here and I don't ever want you to come back. Well, without a word, the young man stuffed the money in his pocket and he skedaddled out of there. And the warehouse manager was standing nearby staring in amazement and the, the boss walked over to him and he said, tell me, how long has this guy worked for us? He said, he doesn't. 
He was just delivering a package. I mean, that's the way it is. Sometimes we don't have all the, all the facts straight. But you see, only the Holy Spirit can judge the reasons for a person's behavior. And it's often more comfortable to talk about the mistakes in someone else's life rather than deal with the sin in our own life. And so we begin to judge others. See, being a fruit inspector rather than a judge is the proper perspective for the disciple of Jesus Christ. I mean, we can observe another's actions without judging the person's motives. I mean, it's been said this way. There is so much good in the worst of us and so much bad in the best of us that it hardly behooves any of us to talk about the rest of us. Let me put this in a very practical sense. When a new person walks in the door of our church, you can focus on what's wrong with them or you can focus on what's right with them. When we implement a change in ministry, there are two ways to respond. Some people make it their responsibility to identify what's wrong with it. While others are excited to discover the new benefits and opportunities that change offers to our church. But listen, you can always find something wrong with anything. You can find something wrong with anything. Any program, any person, any pastor, any plan. But if finding what's wrong is your focus, then you cheat yourself and you cheat everyone else out of the opportunity to grow and to learn and benefit what God has brought into your church and into your life. You see, I I think this is huge because... Discernment can be a helpful skill and a positive contribution. Good judgment is a valuable quality. But complaining and fault-finding, they don't help anything. Now in verse 6, Jesus warns about throwing sacred things or pearls to dogs or to pigs... And notice he's not degrading other people. He's teaching us that we cannot force spiritual practices on those who don't want them or cannot understand them. (laughs) And the truth is, is I'm going to say this as provocative as I can. The Lord Jesus teaches that his disciples need to discriminate. And the meaning of the word discriminate is to recognize a distinction, to differentiate. Hear what I'm saying. I'm not referring to anything about race. I'm not referring to anything about sex. I'm not referring to anything about age. Discriminate is a word that carries with it a lot of connotations in our society. 
And we live in a a society where discrimination is the last and only sin. You can do anything that you want as long as you don't discriminate. And you can get away with it. But Jesus is calling for spiritual discrimination. In other words, what he is saying is we must distinguish between those who are stubbornly opposed in rebellion to the word of God as opposed to those who are open to the gospel of Christ. Don't cast your your pearls before swine. Don't, Don't cast your sacred things before the dogs. See, he's calling us, he's calling on us as disciples to differentiate. And all that goes against the grain of everything in our society right now. But that's the call of our Lord and Master Jesus Christ. I mean, having taught here that we are not to be overcritical. That's what he's saying. Don't judge, don't be overcritical. Jesus adds that we must acknowledge that there are real spiritual differences in the heart of people. He's saying, look at what you're seeing here. Okay? Look at it. Differentiate that. Recognize a distinction in those who are wanting to follow, those who are open to the gospel, and those who are not. I think that's huge. Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Moving on, look at verse 7. 7 and following says, Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who receives, he will, uh, excuse me, for everyone who asks, receives, and he who seeks, finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he not, will, will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give what is good to those who ask him? In everything, therefore, Treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. He's talking here about relating to God by asking, by seeking, and by knocking. A.W. Tozier, he, he once wrote, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Jesus is saying here with this illustration of a good father. He's saying a good father provides for his children that which his children ask for. That's the loving nature, if you will, of God. I mean, if we as flawed parents know how to give our children good gifts, how much more would our perfect father give to us that which we need? See, the good gifts are those gifts that belong to the kingdom of God. Look at the list, that are, the, the, the list of things that are given in uh, the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer. I mean, daily bread, daily forgiveness, daily protection from temptation, 
Daily protection from the evil one. Oh, how we need that. Those are some good gifts that God our Father gives us. You see, prayer relates to God and to others. And we pray to God so that we can relate to others in the proper spiritual way. And, and, and the way that I like to describe that is when this relationship here is good, the relationship between us and God, when that relationship is good, then this relationship between us and others will be good. But a lot of times when we see problems in this relationship with other people, when we can't get along with others, it may be that we have a problem in this relationship between us and God. See, prayer prepares our hearts for obedience to Christ's teachings. In order for us to treat others as we would have them to treat us, we have to be on speaking terms with God. We have to be able to to come to Him. And, And when we do, we must examine our own spiritual condition. Asking Him to examine our hearts. Because so often we live out here in the world and we live in a world of darkness. We live in a world that is consumed with itself. And when we come to God, we've got to get clean, if you will, from the world. We've got to allow God to examine our hearts. Allow the Holy Spirit to wash over us. You see, after we have discerned our own spiritual condition, then we can turn to a loving Father and ask Him to supply the needs that we have. See, ask. He says to ask. He says to seek. He says to knock. And these are imperatives. They're commands that are in the present tense, and they they call for continuing action. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. I love this because asking God in prayer, it reinforces our own humility in our approach to God. Because everything that we have comes from God. Everything that we have comes from God. You may think that you earned it, You may think that it belongs to you, but everything that we have belongs and came from God. See, when we are asking God, it reinforces our own humility in our approach, bringing an awareness of our personal and giving God, the one who loves us so much. As we are seeking God, it means asking plus taking deliberate action. Looking for the opportunity to be a part of the answer to that prayer. Seeking God. Not just asking, but seeking. God, what is it you would have me to do about this? Supplying this need. Doing whatever it is. Knocking is asking and seeking persistently. See, many times we give up too easily. We aren't persistent enough. Jesus told the story of a fellow in Matthew 11 who came to his friend at night who had already gone to bed and put his kids and animals to bed and, and they were all in bed and he came and he, and he knocked and he was, he was asking but he was also seeking and he was knocking and saying, won't you help me? Won't you come out and help me and give me some bread? We're tired. We're weary. We've been traveling. Will you, will you do this for me? And Jesus said it was because of his persistence that the need was filled. 
Folks, knocking is asking and seeking persistently. See, God will always answer our prayers in his way and in our best interest. God will answer according to the wisdom of a, of a loving parent. Folks, this is a strong incentive for us as disciples to go to him, understanding that God makes no exceptions among his children. You know, we read in verse 12, it says, In everything, therefore treat people the same way you want them to treat you. Listen, everybody praises that rule, the golden rule. Okay, the golden rule is not he who has the gold makes the rules. Okay? That's the world's twist on this rule. The golden rule is treat others the way you would like to be treated. Treat them in the same way that you would like to be treated. And it says there, for this is the law and the prophets. See, you won't find many people in our world today as debauched and as depraved as it is who will stand up and say, you know what, the golden rule is a bad idea. Not many people would say that. Most people would, would give, acknowledge it and say, yeah, you ought to treat others the way that you would like to be treated. But it's putting it into practice that's the hard part. I mean, we can talk about it and we can say it, but it's putting it into practice that's the hard part. Think about this. Apply this rule, the golden rule. Treat others the way you would like to be treated. Apply this rule to your most difficult relationship. Apply this rule to your most difficult relationship. What is that most difficult relationship in your life? For some of you, it may be a, a, a wife or a husband. For some of you, it may be a parent. It may be a child. Maybe someone who has hurt you to the point that you believe that that relationship is beyond repair. And every time they share even another small hurt with you, the pain flows over you like a wave. And the hurt is so intense that you just really can't even handle it. And you find yourself snapping in anger over this relationship. You may even withdraw in isolation away from that relationship. How about in relationships with people who are very, very different from you? You share nothing in common with them. Socially, economically, culturally. My question is, how do you love them? How do you reach out to them in love? How do you treat them? Because just a little reflection of that will show us that we have a long ways to go in embracing this commandment practically. Treat others the way you want to be treated. I want to move on to this final section here in this chapter. It's kind of a lengthy thing, but I'd like to read it. Beginning in verse 13, if you have your word, follow along here. It says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small, 
and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but are inwardly as ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce good fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, so then you will know them by their fruits. Verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew and slammed against the house. And yet it did not fall for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house. And it fell and great was its fall. What Jesus is talking about here is relating to Jesus in obedience. In obedience, through obedience. And he, he contrasts, he gives us four contrasts. And very quickly, I want to I go over them to illustrate the necessity of a disciple to be obedient to his teachings. The first one is the narrow and the wide gate. And he talks about that. And, and there are only two ultimate destinations. There are only two ultimate destinations. I mean, you've heard people wrongly say there are many paths to God. There are many paths to heaven. Wrong. See, you'll notice that in this passage, Jesus gets rid of that. He dispatches that idea. There aren't, there really aren't many paths to heaven or even to life. There's really only one gate to life. Not many gates. And there's, <laughs> there's only one way to life. Not many ways. See, but I believe if, if we take it from Jesus' words that there are more than one ultimate destination. We can see that. Because he talks about two destinations. And the first one that he mentions is the destination that is destruction. He says, the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. But the narrow gate. The narrow gate does not represent more religious rituals. Or what I want to call more doctrinal correctness. That's not the narrow gate. The narrow gate is the obedience to the teachings of Jesus. 
He says there is one way. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's pretty exclusive. See, even the world agrees that we who believe in Jesus Christ are narrow-minded because we go through the narrow gate. They would admit that. They would say, because you believe in Jesus Christ, you are exclusive. You, you exclude everyone else. That's because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The narrow gate is obedience to the teachings of Jesus. You see, when a person comes to faith in Christ, we have the confidence to follow his teachings. But on the other hand, there are people who are rigidly correct in their doctrine and their heart is cold as stones. The narrow, the narrow gate leads down a narrow road. <laughs> See, obedience, obedience to Christ is not a one-time thing. It's an all-time thing. Coming into the kingdom through obedience to our confession of faith in Jesus Christ leads to a journey in obedience to our Lord Jesus. Those who choose the broad way are those who do as they please. They're not in obedience. They don't consider the teachings of Jesus. They live how they want. They're in the broad way. They've entered through the broad gate. And he says, many go through that gate to their own destruction. See, this, this broad road leads to a destructive lifestyle. And many refuse the obedient, to be obedient to the teachings of Jesus Christ. Secondly, he talks about the good tree and the bad tree. Now, we have fellowship with Jesus Christ and we respond in obedience to him from the good within. The good tree bears good fruit from the kind of disciple we become in relation to Jesus. How did he put it? I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will bear much fruit. I love that because it's in that abiding that we bear fruit. <laughs> See, these disciples, they differ from the, the wolves in sheep's clothing who put on an outward show of discipleship without an inward change. They represent the bad tree, which cannot bear good fruit. He also talks about the will of God and the great deeds in his name. See, doing great deeds in Jesus' name, I mean, we'll do that. We'll work all day for the cause of Christ. Doing great deeds in Jesus' name or calling him Lord are no substitute for being obedient to his teachings. This is what he calls for us to do. If we say that we are disciples of Christ, then we must obey what he, he taught. But we don't like that. Because we want to do what we want to do. And our society and the churches in our society are eat up with it. See, if we're going to call him Lord, if we're going to call him master, then he's going to call the shots in our life. He's going he's to be the one whose teachings we follow. Not the school of Ridge, not the school of someone else, but Jesus is the master. He's the Lord. 
See, notice in verse 21, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. See, the person who enters the kingdom of heaven is the one who actually does the will of the Father. It's a whole lot easier to say, Lord, Lord, and to cry out to him than it is to be obedient to what God is asking you to do. See, being obedient to the teachings of Jesus may not always be as noticeable as driving out demons or performing miracles. But the obedience is a more certain way of entering the kingdom than that of doing miracles and other shows, displays of of power. Fourthly, he says, the house on the rock and the house on the sand. I mean, the three most important considerations in real estate is location, location, location. It's no different. And that's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that your life is like a house. And you can build it. You can choose to build your house on one of two foundations. You can either build it on the rock of Christ Jesus or you can build it on the shifty sands of this world. But here's the deal. You're free to make the choice where you choose to build your house. God gives you that freedom, but as you decide there's something you need to know about these two foundations, (laughs) one of them works. And the other doesn't. One of them is solid and reliable. The other is unreliable and sure to bring disaster. And when we put Jesus' teachings into practice as a lifestyle, we build our life on the rock and it becomes indestructible. See, the stable life lived on the rock is a, is a life of spiritual strength and spiritual understanding. And when we are obedient to the teachings of Christ, an inner strength flows out of us to bless the lives of others. See, the way that we treat others is an indication of our faith in Jesus Christ and our obedience to his teachings. All of this is the words of Christ. These are his teachings. This is what he's asking us to do. This is what we need to be in obedience to. But you see, Jesus calls us to choose. He calls us to choose the narrow gate of faith in him. And some of you may have never acknowledged Christ as your Savior and Lord. He calls us to choose. He calls us to choose the straight way of discipleship. To follow that narrow way. And it means that we can't go places that we used to go. It means we can't do the things we used to do. It's confining. It's a narrow way. And we walk in it because we choose to walk in it. It's discipleship. And finally, notice that Jesus calls us to choose To be identified with the few who find that narrow way. (laughs) The body of Christ. Those who are willing to walk in the ways that he taught. To be obedient to him. Friends, today, 
you have a choice to make. You can choose to acknowledge Christ as your Savior and Lord, or you can choose not to. You can choose to build your life on the rock of Christ Jesus, or you can choose not to. You can choose to walk in his teachings, in obedience to his teachings, and, 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 and be in that discipleship in that narrow way, or you can choose not to. You can choose to be a part of God's family, his, his bride, his church, right here, right now. Or you can choose not to. But make no mistake about it. You have a choice. And it's up to what you decide. Every choice we make entails a future. Either a good choice and a positive future or a negative choice and a negative future. But it's no different. He gives us that choice today. And I can't make that choice for you. If I could, I would say all of you all are going to make the choice to become a believer in Jesus Christ and you're going to follow him all of your days and you're going to walk and be a part of his body and do exactly what he tells you to do. But you know what? He doesn't, he doesn't want that for you and I don't want that for you. I want it to be your choice as well. Because ultimately on that day of judgment that I talked about, we will all stand before him and give an account to the, to the Lord what we've done with what he's given us. And on that day, these very words will stand in witness for you or against you. But the choice is yours. Let's pray together. Loving Father, I thank you for this time. And I thank you for your word. Father, your word is so challenging to us. And God, we know that you desire to help us to become more than we are. Father, I know that your desire is to help me become more than I am right now. And Father, it's in that discipleship, it's in that fellowship, it's, it's, in, it's in being obedient to your word and, and the commands that you give us, Father, that, that I find that growth, that I find that spiritual strength, that I find all of the things that bring life. Father, it's when we get away from that. We begin to build our house on the sand and Father, the storms come and the destruction comes and the fall is great. Lord, I pray in this moment that your Holy Spirit would, would pour over our hearts. That your Holy Spirit would show us exactly what you desire for each one of us. Father, that we would not be moving on and that we would not be thinking about things that we're going to do later today. But at this very moment, Father, we would be thinking about being obedient to your commands. And Father, that we would see the choice that is clearly before us. Father, eternity weighs in the balance of those choices. So I pray, Father, that if there is someone here that does not have a personal relationship with you, if they have never acknowledged you as their Savior and Lord, 
that today would be their day of salvation, that today they would acknowledge you as Lord and Savior in their life. Father, if there are those that have not been walking in obedience to you, I pray that today they would get back on the narrow way. And God, that they would desire more of you and less of themselves, less of this world. Father, I pray that in this time, this time of response, Father, that we would respond with broken hearts to you, knowing that we've not been all that we claim to be, knowing that we've not done all that we've claimed to do. Father, that we need you today more than we've ever needed you. Individually, as families, and as a church body. Father, as a nation, we, have need, we need you more today than we've ever needed you. And I pray, God, that you would bring about a great awakening. Father, bring the fires of revival. Stir our hearts. Allow this to be the revival to start right here, right now, in this body. By your power and by your might and for your glory. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.